Jesus, our Messiah, the name above all names and the King who is kind and good and who has unending love for us, we pray that everything out of our mouth will be a Hosanna to you. Every action, every step, every joy, every sorrow, may us be filled with praise and share it. May we remember as in this season of Easter, we gather to remember your story and the last few days of your life before Christ's resurrection from the dead. We remember that the same voices who raised hosannas in the streets of Jerusalem were the ones yelling, crucify him, crucify him. May we remember, Lord, after that, the words of the disciples and of Mary praising you in your resurrection, recognizing that suffering is not the end, your death was not the end, that in three days you will rise again. Lord, help us see in your, in your wounds, your head, your hands, your feet, the outpouring of love from every injury that you partook for us. Let us remember the humility and see majesty. We lift now our Hosanna. Amen.
um, but enthusiastically encouraged to offer an amen after the way we have been led this morning. You all may not experience what I get to experience, kind of sitting adjacent to the piano but not touching it. Um, as Mary Martha bangs away, melodiously, but bangs away um, with, with all her strength, the, um, it moves the floor. The, the floor actually shifts, it quakes, and I can feel my chair sort of moving back and forth. Um, it's a tectonic shift in worship when we offer our praise and we align ourselves with God's own spirit, drawing out of us the praise and thanks that belong to God and God alone. And it's great to see you here this morning. It is good uh, always to be on vacation. It is also good to be back, to see you and to worship with you today. I invite you to turn in your Bibles. We'll be reading Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the roads while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. May God bless the reading. In the hearing of the word today. I've always enjoyed Palm Sunday service and it warmed my heart. Every, every week there's some gesture, there's some step that says we are emerging from our pandemic bunkers and we're sort of, sort of showing ourselves together again in worship. We can see one another, we can celebrate with one another and to see our sunshiners and to see uh, our children making their way forward leading us in worship as they wave the branches and they leave them here at the cross it 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 hits a spiritual place for me and a sentimental place for me that makes a big difference we tend to look at palm sunday in some ways as something of a highlight in what is otherwise a, a low good no good week for jesus Things only go downhill from here. After this full-throated moment of praise and welcome, Jesus makes his way into more perilous territory on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and then the unendurable silence of death on Holy Saturday. But I think for us, if we don't see the celebration and what happens on Palm Sunday as part 
of that great story, and indeed not as a contrast, but as a complement, or maybe even an overture to all that happens in the week to come, we may miss some important insights. And so today, I'm going to ask you to put on a specific set of glasses to be able to read this story with me. And those glasses are ground with lenses made of hospitality. That's the word. That's going to be the leading light for today. And in some ways, we can see the hospitality that emerges in this moment of enthusiasm as the crowds, as the children, as those who gather to welcome Jesus, truly welcome him. But we know it's a welcome that goes bad, as so many of our human welcomes do. But we've all been touched by hospitality when it's been authentically and beautifully offered. Our friend Janet, who is no longer with us, was in many ways sort of a, a surrogate mother to Janelle in our early dating and married life because Janelle's birth mother uh, was so far away. And so when we were getting married, it was Janet who took Janelle to get her bridal portraits made and went dress shopping with her and, and did those sorts of things because she was nearby and she loved us. And when it was time for us to have our wedding, uh, she said, I want to have a party for anyone you want to invite, and we're going to have it at our house. And uh, she knew how to throw a party. She really did. In fact, her daughters were very jealous. They were still in high school, and they said, why are you doing this for them? They're not even part of the family. You better do this for us. And, and they did. However, that moment of hospitality, of just sort of gracious welcome that says, our house is your house. My resources are your resources. These tables are your tables. My china, your china. Let's have a party. I'll never forget it. I'll also never forget the experience in Haiti as we went uh, in the very rural countryside with bags of rice and beans to take to the hungry villagers who lived there kind of scattered among the mountains. And as we went as ambassadors of the church with the pastor, bringing these humble gifts for folks to eat, being welcomed into those homes with hugs, with grace, with welcome, and with the knowledge, I was told, that the second we left, the first thing that they would do with those precious and rare gifts for a hungry village was to invite all of their neighbors over to share in what they had been given. Hospitality. It can be rich and extravagant. It can happen among the very poorest among us because it is not about what shows forth. It's not those external appearances. It's not about having you know, the, the perfect potato salad recipe, though it helps. It's about the spirit of welcome that is created in proximity to very special, spiritually gifted people. And you know them when you meet them. All of us can practice hospitality, but those among us who are, in a sense, supernaturally gifted to welcome you into their life, we know when we've been touched by that. We know when we've been welcomed by that. And so it's no surprise when we read through the New Testament to see just how often hospitality is not just recommended, it's not just suggested, but it is commanded, it is demanded of disciples of Jesus Christ. It is demanded of those communities that gather together called the church. It shows up in many places. It's a criterion for the leaders of the church. It is a criterion for the members of the church. Probably comes into great focus in 1 Peter chapter 4. 
offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should do whatever, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Hospitality is not a gift in and of itself, but it is the means by which so many of these spiritual gifts are offered to other people. It's the platform on which so much ministry can happen, where the Spirit goes to work. It's that social container that holds together so many of the gifts of Christian community. Mercy and serving and giving and evangelizing. That all happens because there is hospitality. Hospitality is the means by which the stranger experiences salvation. Hospitality is the sustenance for the sisters and brothers who are in the household of faith. Because we always remember when we think on hospitality that we were sought out by God. And we were brought into God's own life when we were strangers. God found us. God takes us in. God made us a part of God's own family and brought us to a table where we are fed by the very love and by the very grace of God. And so yes, it's more than having a centerpiece for every occasion, though it helps. It takes us from that posture of reception to express our lives more outwardly in invitation. I've had many neighbors over the years, and most of them I've had good relationships with. There was one lady who didn't think I trimmed my bushes often enough, and every once in a while I'd actually catch her coming over and sort of doing it for me because it made her so uncomfortable. But you know, in those relationships you have with neighbors and with friends, there is a different level you're brought to in relationship when there's one exchange that's made. And maybe you'll nod your head when you hear me say it. It's the exchange of house keys or door codes. Because all of a sudden you've moved from that uh, opening the door and, and peeking through the, the little opening that's there to saying, you can come in anytime you want. And in fact, I may depend on you to do that from time to time. You don't see me for a while, you come by and you check on me hospitality. That is one of the ways that I've heard the gospel expressed, is that the gospel is the gospel in part because God gives us the key to God's own house, the purest expression of hospitality into the life and into the heart and into the family of God. And so why do we talk about this on Palm Sunday, of all occasions. Why do we do that? We'll need to take a step back just for a few moments as, and, and pan as widely as you possibly can a 30,000-foot view of our life with God and our understanding of how God has gone to work in the world. We have to go all the way to creation when God made the heavens and the earth. And one of the questions that, that theologians sometimes sort of turn over with no real concrete answer is simply this. If before God created the heavens and the earth, God was all there is, then where, so to speak, where did God create the universe? If God was all there is, where was the space 
in which God went to work. A space that was vacant, waiting to be filled with hyenas and blue whales and potatoes and mountains and seas. You can spend an endless amount of time designing your dream home, designing the perfect place for you to occupy But until you have a vacant lot (laughs) on which you build that dream home, it's just a design. moves about in your head. It's one of the reasons the language of Genesis 1 is so interesting because God did so much sort of separating and boundary making. God is said to separate the waters from the waters, the light from the darkness, the water from dry land, and all the rest. All that divine activity is a process of making room, of creating space, of clearing the ground in order for God to establish God's own creation. Making space to welcome the new thing that God designs. It is an expression of hospitality. It's said that cleanliness is next to godliness, but it's actually hospitality is next to godliness. The Gospel of John tells us how the divine word present at creation, the one who came into our lives, who was made flesh and dwelt among us, is the one who makes room for us. That that word that became incarnate came to the world, but the hard news that John tells us is that when he came to his own people, they did not receive him. Humankind was not at all hospitable to this one who is ultimately our host. But that is the very nature of the sin that Jesus came to confront, to die for. The sin that's manifest in every wall we build, every act of exclusion, of shutting people out, of doing the, the spiritual equivalent, just sort of slamming the door in the face of other people and other creatures. And if we keep on acting inhospitably to each other, we do that, even though we know what it feels like to be left out. We know what it feels like to be excluded. We know what it feels like to be ostracized, to be called other, to be set apart and shut out. We know what that is like. Jesus comes to confront that because it is counter to the very way of God, the very will of God who made space where there was no space, presumably somehow in God's own life. For all of creation to reside. And so Jesus comes to Jerusalem that day. The people shout, Hosanna. It's a Hebrew word that means, kind of in a very, in a very pious way, uh, save us, please, and honor to you who brings the salvation. So it's something of a plea, and it's also something of a rallying cry, a great hooray, a shout of praise. And we don't know what the crowds had in mind as they said these words probably drawing from the worship language of the psalm that is so much a part of our understanding of that moment. But if they thought that the salvation that Jesus was going to achieve was going to bolster or reinforce an exclusive nature in their own religious community, they were surely mistaken. It seems very apparent that at the very least what they wanted was to kick out the pagan Romans in order to make Jerusalem great again. 
that it might have the holiest and fullest expression of faith and life ever. But if we still want to live in that expectation, all we need to do is read just a little further, verses 12 through 17. As Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem, verse 12 tells us, Jesus entered the temple courts, drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, the nerve, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what the children are saying, they asked him? Yes, Jesus said. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. And so upon entering the city, Jesus goes straight to the temple, and without missing a beat, he chases off all of these money changers and dove sellers. In and of itself, not something that was wrong. The presence of the merchants is something that was sanctioned in the law of Israel, and it was required for people to offer proper sacrifices according to their ritual. But the problem with those kiosks is a particular detail. Matthew tells us that they were located in the temple courts. They were taking up space in the temple courts. And this is the outer section where those who couldn't be trusted to enter into the holier spaces inside the heart of the temple could reside. The Gentiles, the unclean, those who wouldn't be welcome any nearer, the holy of holies. Yes, you can come. Yes, you can pray. And there in that place, that's where the non-Jews, the Gentiles, the unwashed could be but no further. It was an accommodation, but now it was being occupied by those who were doing this commercial work for the temple. So let's imagine, let's imagine something that's really noble and important, like collecting our mission offerings here around Easter, right? We have a goal of $5,000. It's not going to be easy to accomplish that unless we get the word out. So we set up booths, and we set up collectors and we set up signs all over the place and the only free space of course is right here where the wheelchairs go and we set them up there and just to catch people on the way in we'll we'll set up on the wheelchair ramps and we'll start setting up all sorts of 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 attractions for folks and occupying the space that we desperately need to hold open for those who would not have access to this community unless we did No wonder he drives out those changers from that space that was the one gesture of hospitality in temple life for those who are on the outside. Today I want us to remember that hospitality is a cornerstone of creation, and it's been that way since the beginning. And that's what's so amazing about verse 14 that I just read to you. 
Jesus clears out this space in the temple. And the very next thing that happens, the blind and the lame came to him and he healed them. Jesus makes room and that room is filled right away with the people who had previously been shut out. And that, in essence, is the very image I want us to carry through Holy Week. As we look at the cross that Jesus will endure, Jesus dies on that cross for more reasons than we could conceive, more than we could list in the time we have this morning. But salvation that Jesus works out for us, as wide as the cosmos, as it is, underneath that, we could list all of the hurts that Jesus healed, the wrongs that he makes right, the broken down things he repairs and that he makes new. But what all of those things have in common is the fact that Jesus is dying as a creature of this creation. The Word of God who in the beginning hospitably made all things dies to make room for the new thing that God is doing. And so Jesus shows us that being kingdom insiders, and I'm addressing you as kingdom insiders. You're here on a Sunday morning at 1030. You chose to be here. You want to be here, presumably. I'm addressing you. Being on the inside is not good because we can look at people on the outside and say, ah, at least we are not those people. This is the unique sort of community that defines being an outsider as good only as it becomes a memory point for us to remember how we were once lost and now found. As one who is on the outside, who has been brought in by the grace of God. That's how the Apostle Paul counseled the Ephesian church. Remember this, he says, that at that time you were separate from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. We sing that song, Amazing Grace. And sometimes we don't ponder enough the amazing part of that grace. Because it is such a precious gift. You are really embraced by a love that will not let you go. And if you ponder just how amazing that grace is, my hope is that you will cultivate a desire, a hope, a yearning, a passion for everyone to experience that welcome and that transforming love of God. As those who are inside the kingdom, you will never define your goodness over against those who are outside. Instead, maybe our leading light is to grow in our desire to have no more outsiders. That they might experience the joy, and the love, and the blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. What the religious leaders responded, of course, seems typical for them. They did not want to experience that vision of a family of God gathered in that sort of way. Their very precious temple was inundated now with undesirables. The crippled, the lame, Worse, there were kids running around and screaming all over the place. They had taken crayons, 
to the columns. They had spilled their pomegranate juice all over the floor. It makes it very sticky. Undignified. They didn't want that kind of temple. It wasn't the temple they were used to. And they're indignant. Matthew tells us in verse 15, don't you hear what the children are saying? And Jesus, kind of over the noise of the crowd, shouts back, have you not read Psalm 8? That's the quote. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained, you have drawn forth praise. And that's his last word. He drops the microphone and he goes to sleep. Jesus wasn't just robotically calling forth out of a concordance the first verse he could think of that mentions children. Instead, he draws from Psalm 8, a profound and poetic meditation on creation. That's why I began with that same thought. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth when I consider the moon and the stars. What is humanity? that you would take note of any of us in the immensity of this great big world that only gets bigger as we send more satellites and telescopes out into space, that only gets smaller as we're able to look more and more into atomic and subatomic levels. Who are we that the author of this creation is mindful of us? Jesus in his ministry, is bringing us back to the intention of that creation we are still discovering. He's making room for the least and for the lost and for the lonely people whose lives have just been broken apart by sin. As Jesus makes his way into the city that week, we have to be able to hold in that triumphal vision where it takes him. It takes him to this cross. We follow him with increasing sorrow over the next six days. I look forward with joy to when we will come back together next week. It will be Easter Sunday, and we will sing with full-throated praise. But we cannot bypass the pain of this week. I beg you not to do that. Instead, as we walk with Jesus, all the hard steps of his own way of suffering we must take seriously the cost that he pays to make room for you, for me, and for them. He's paid a great price. And that's going to call on us to consider the cost we are willing to make as well, to break open the barriers that we may have erected with the best of intentions or maybe have just sort of learned to live with and acquiesce to out in the world. And one by one, continue to move from that place of we're here whenever you're ready to come to going out and offering the invitation to experience that transforming love that has welcomed you, that has welcomed me into the very life and the very heart of God. We've been given the keys. Hospitality. Uh, you may have heard this proverb, is the knack for making others feel at home even when you wish they were. It costs us something. It always does, whether you have a dinner party 
or you change the way anything is done in your life to make space for someone else. You have to give things up in order to accomplish that. Your routines get disrupted. The old patterns need to be adjusted. And that is very hard work. Sometimes it requires sacrifice from us. But what is Holy Week unless we can view it through the experience of Jesus' own sacrifice? I'm not sure I'm ready to give that up. Maybe we can hear Jesus this week saying, well, you know, I've never done it this way either. But trust me, the result is more than you could imagine. So with humility, with wonder, let's watch and wait. Let's walk with Jesus and share the good news that we are welcome. The keys have been given to us, to the life, to the heart of God, a God whose very way is hospitality. Amen.